Alright guys, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We're a little early, but I think everybody's in here. It doesn't take long to get from the promised land here. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. And uh, first off, thank you for coming to this class. Also, I'm really sorry about this, this poll. <laughs> there are about three people who are just like, you're just going to have to do this the whole time. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll try to walk around so you won't have to do it the whole time. Uh, anyway, my name is Joe Deegan. I, I'm on staff with RYM. I'm the worship resources coordinator, and I've been doing this for a year and a half. And I'm originally from a small town in Alabama called Tuscumbia. And it's part of the Muscle Shoals area. And was born and raised there, went to University of North Alabama. I graduated in 09 and moved out to Houston, Texas to work with my best friend, John Trapp, who was, um, John and I grew up together, and John was the youth director at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. So I moved out there to work with him, and we worked together for four or five years. And he left to finish seminary, and I kept working as the director there for a couple more years, and then eventually felt a calling towards music and wasn't really sure what that would look like um, or how I was going to make money, <laughs> but I quit my job and went for it and, and learned a lot about it and eventually landed this role with RYM that has just been a dream job for me because I get to, uh, I get to lead worship at these camps, but during the year I get to work from home and write and record and uh, make music and write curriculum to go with it and just do all the things that I love doing and uh, and also have it like tied into youth ministry which I love youth ministry I love students but one of my favorite parts of my job that is kind of an overlooked part of my job is the fact that I get to come teach these electives I love teaching I love being able to talk about the gospel and the Bible with you guys and I think part of that is because I love storytelling I come from a long line of storytellers. My grandmother was a professional storyteller. She used to um, have like tell these ghost stories and folk tales at these festivals around town. And I can remember being a little kid and gathering up on a picnic blanket at Helen Keller Public Library. Uh, by the way, Tuscumbia is where Helen Keller's from. Uh, that's like our one claim to fame. But I can remember gathering at the public library on the lawn and hearing her tell stories and just being entranced for hours. Um, and, and our whole family is like that. We love telling stories. And so I, I wanted to have a, a class this week that was all about storytelling. It was all about the importance of stories and how stories shape and mold us more than anything else. And that's what I want you to see is that ultimately, this is something that God cares a lot about. He loves stories. And I want you to see why you were made for stories. I want you to see that there are false stories out here that are telling you lies. And I want you to see that ultimately God as our author is telling one big grand story that we get to be a part of. And that's an amazing, beautiful thing. Um, so before we really dive too far into it, let me pray for us and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and for the way that you have loved us. Thank you for this uh, beautiful weather and for um, the morning worship and a chance to sing songs to you. And God, I pray that you would be glorified not just through our songs, but through our, our listening to Scripture and our listening to teaching. Not just people in this room, but people all over this campus right now who are listening to different classes 
and different topics. I pray that your spirit would move among us. I pray that you would calm us down and free us from distractions. And I pray that you would help us to almost go somewhere different mentally right now so that we're not like thinking about the beach or anything around us, but to actually go where the lesson is going and to go where your scripture is leading us to that story. And I pray that you would guide us there, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And most of all, Lord, speak through me because my words by themselves don't do anything. And I have to have you. And I pray that you would come and move over me right now and help us to see how great you are. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to start this storytelling seminar with a story about stories. How about that? Okay. Several years ago, several hundred years ago, back around like 14, 15, 1600s in Europe, you had some people who lived in big cities like Rome, Paris, London. Most people lived out in villages, like in the country, on the outskirts of woods and forests, just kind of scattered throughout. And a lot of these small communities had very high family values during this time period. They cared a lot about their children, what their children were learning, what they taught them. And they realized they wanted their kids to grow up and be mature. They wanted them to uh, be respectful. They wanted them to you know, obey the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. They wanted them to know certain things about their world. They wanted them to learn not to go into the woods because the woods were dangerous at that point. There were wild animals that wanted to kill them. There were, you know, robbers and bandits who like camped out in the woods. And so they wanted to teach their kids all these rules that they needed them to abide by in order to grow up and live. But they realized, as most people would, I think, that rules don't really work on kids. Like if if you sit a five-year-old down during that time period and say, okay, here are the rules. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, and don't go into the woods. Got it? All right, let's do that. What are they going to do? The exact opposite, because there's something about rules that makes us want to break them. I don't know what it is, but rules just don't have that sort of shaping effect that we want them to have. And parents realized this, and so they took a very different approach. They began to create stories, folk tales, fairy tales. And they would sit down at evenings. This is the days before television or internet, okay? They would sit down maybe by a fire or at a dinner table, even as a community gathering. And they would tell these stories, stories like, like maybe there's a little girl who's going to bring a meal to her grandmother and she has to go through the woods to get there. But along the way, there's a big bad wolf that chases her. And then she's fooled by the wolf, okay? And so a kid hears that story, and they go, oh, my goodness, I don't want to go into the woods. There's a big bad wolf in there, okay? So they began to learn that stories were shaping their children way more than rules were. Several years down the road, around the 1800s, there were these two brothers who had grown up on these stories, who loved them so much, they decided to write them down in a collection. The brothers' names were Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. And they came out with a book called Grimm's Fairy Tales. And these are many of the stories that you and I grew up on. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Rumpelstiltskin, The Frog Prince, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood. That is just to name a few, all right? These are the famous folk 
fairy stories that have been passed down year after year after year, generation after generation. And it all started with parents who realized that stories shape us way more than rules do. And you know who else realizes that? God. Because he created us that way. And that's what I want you to see this week, is that you were made for stories. You were made to be shaped by them, because that's exactly how God made you. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. has just made everything. This is the, the first chapter of the Bible. He made everything out of nothing. He's made the light, the dark, the waters, the land, the plants, the animals. Everything is good. And then he gets to this part. And this is the pinnacle of his creation. Like the most important part. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. I want to focus on that one phrase, in God's image. I'm sure this is a phrase you've heard before, if you've grown up in the church at all, that we are created in God's image. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> uh, I have three kids who are here this week, and uh, hopefully you'll get to see them and interact with them. Uh, they would love it. My daughter, Ellie, is five. My son, Sam, is three and a half. My other son, Will, is two. And then my wife, Leah, is pregnant with our fourth. Maggie will be here in October, and I'm super pumped to meet her. But Sam, my second born, is the one who looks just like me, okay? More than my, the other two. And, and uh, it's kind of amazing, like when you compare baby pictures, we really look exactly the same. But it, it goes beyond that. I can remember when Sam was about nine months old, he was doing this really funny thing where he would, he would sit down like in the living room and I'd sit behind him and he'd just throw himself backwards like onto me and I'd catch him and he'd just cackle and laugh and think it was the funniest thing in the world. And then he'd sit up and throw himself backwards again and he just like kept doing this thing. And I remember, this is my mom, by the way, who's over here. She's here helping out for the week. But I can remember when my mom and dad came and visited and, um, and hung out with us for a little bit in Houston. I was like, Mom, you got to see what Sam's doing. It's this really weird thing. And he would throw himself backwards. And my mom went, uh, Joe, you used to do the exact same thing when you were nine months old. I said, no, you're making that up. And she showed me a video. And it is uncanny. Uh, like, okay, first off, this is not some normal thing. It's like, like she could have said, like, you used to eat baby food when you were nine months old too. Like, okay, every baby does that. No, this is a strange thing for babies to do, to just like sit up and throw themselves. It's like a little nine-month-old trust fall, I guess is like the equivalent of it. And Sam was doing this thing, and I thought it was so unique. And my mom was like, uh, no, you used to do the exact same thing. And she showed me a video, and sure enough, I'm doing it. My dad's sitting on the floor, and I'm like nine months old, and I'm throwing myself backwards and laughing and thinking it's funny. The exact same thing. 
It's unreal how DNA works. The fact that this little son of mine would do something that I did when I was nine months old. It's not like I taught him that. It's not like I pulled him out when he was eight months old. All right, all right, this may take a month, but you know what? It's time for you to start doing trust falls. Like, I didn't teach him that. This is not something we talked about in our family. He just started doing it. Why? Well, when people see Sam and they look at him and they know me, you know what they say? They say, that boy is the spitting image of you. That's what I want you to get. That's the picture I think God is actually giving to us when it says that we were created in his image. That it's not just like it's we're not just saying we look like God. What we're saying is we share his DNA. We were made in his image. Even to small, like little, even strange things. We were created to love the things that God loves and hate the things that he hates. That's what it means to bear the image of God. That's what it means to be created in his image. But we know the story, right? We know what happened. A couple chapters after this, in Genesis 3, that image was tainted. It was tarnished. It was cursed. It was broken. Because Adam and Eve fell into sin, and sin ruined everything. And so we began to love the things that God hated and hate the things that he loved. Every now and then, we will find ourselves like shining through and finding that image of God that we were created for, but sin has just ruined it and broken it and cursed all of it. And we struggle day in and day out to remember who we are, who God made us to be. Thankfully, Jesus came to fix that. And we will get into that later on. That's part of the story. But for now, we need to know that we were created in God's image, that image was broken. It was ruined. But one of the places where we see his image most clearly is through our love for stories. I can remember when I was teaching as a youth pastor, and I would teach Sunday school every Sunday. <clears throat> and I would maybe be in the middle of a lesson giving the, the facts or kind of like the in-between parts. And I could see students' faces kind of nodding and their eyes slowly they would just slowly be drifting off. And then I would say, this one time, and every head would pop up, and every eye would be alert. Why? Because they knew I was about to tell a story. And you don't realize this, but you just did the exact same thing when I started that story. <laughs> every one of your heads popped up, and you were like, oh, he's telling the story. We were made for stories. We were made to love stories. And I, like, at first, I used to, I was examining my own lessons, being like, why is it that they're only paying attention when I'm telling a story? And I used to feel like kind of offended or sad about that. But now I'm just, I love it because it shows who we are. We were made for stories. You were made to love stories. That's the part of you that bears the image of God. You want proof? Um, how many of y'all have seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, for those of you who haven't seen it, let me tell you how it ends. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Avengers, I, so I'm a huge fan of the Marvel movies. I've grown to love them. I didn't really grow up on comics or anything, but when these movies started coming out, man, I love them. I think they're great. They're really fun. I thought Avengers Endgame was awesome. Avengers Endgame is the second highest grossing movie of all time. I think it's about to pass Avatar as the number one highest grossing movie of all time, which is crazy when you think about it. 
Because for those of you who have seen it, that movie by itself is not a great standalone movie. Like, you can't just walk in to see that movie if you haven't seen any of the other Marvel movies and walk out of the theaters and go, yeah, that was a great movie. I know exactly what was going on. All right, you're going to be lost if you haven't seen the other movies before that. Because what it really is, is it's part 22 of a 22-part series that's been told for 11 years. That's what that movie is. It's the conclusion of one really long story. Stop and think about that. This movie that is not really a great standalone movie is about to be the number one movie of all time. Why? Because people love stories. And people are willing to invest in a story over a long period of time. I guarantee you nobody walked into that theater, or very few people, like less than 1% of people walked into that theater having no idea what the story was before that. I bet over 99% of the people walked into that theater because they had seen Infinity War and all the other movies before it. Because we love stories and we're willing to invest in them over long periods of time. This shows something about who we are, shows something about our hearts. Stories drive us and shape us and move us in ways that nothing else can. So I want to talk about three things this morning. Three things. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. And number three, your story needs to be shaped by God's story. All right, let's talk about number one. Your life is a story. I was an English major in college, and all of my professors would impress this on us every single class and every single semester, all the elements that it takes to have a story. In other words, if you don't have these things, then it's not a story. This is going to sound like an English lesson for a second. I want you to bear with me, okay, because these, these things I'm about to give you are very important. Every story has three things, and I made them start with the letter C, and I'm really proud of myself because I'm an English major and I love alliteration, Okay. The first thing every story has is construction. Every story has construction. What I mean by that is this. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is constructed in a form. A beginning, a middle, and an end. Every story has construction. If you don't have construction, you don't have a story. Number two, every story has characters. Because characters in the story help build the relationships that drive the narrative forward. Every story has construction, every story has characters, and every story has conflict, number three. Every story has a problem in it that has to be solved, that has to be redeemed, that has to be fixed. Every story has construction, characters, and conflict. Now I want you to stop and think about your own life for a second. Your life has construction. Your life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You were born, you live for a certain amount of time, we don't know how long that is, and eventually your life will come to an end. But during that time, there is a story taking place. Your life has construction. Your life also has characters in it. You are one of those characters. You are like the main character in your story. And you have these people in your life, your friends, your family, even people in this room, people you interact with, people who come into your life and move you in certain directions and help shape your story. They build relationships that drive your narrative forward. And sometimes the characters in your story may not even be people. They might be places. 
Uh, my hometown, I, so I, when I moved from Tuscumbia, I moved from a town of 7,000 people to 7 million people, okay? That was quite overwhelming for a small town guy like me. And so whenever I drive back into Alabama and come into Tuscumbia, it's like that town itself is a character in my story. Like the, just the, the buildings and the smells and the trees and the way they look during certain seasons. Like that is, that's a, that's a character in my story. So sometimes it may not just be people who are characters in your story. There may be places or things like your room, your bed, uh, your watch, something, something like that. Something that just holds significant meaning in your life. Things that have helped shape who you are. Okay, so we all have construction and we all have characters. And we also all have conflict. We already talked about how sin ruined everything. Sin led to a broken, cursed creation. And because of that, our story has a problem. Your story has a problem. And the problem is this. You can't save yourself. And you are desperately in need of someone else to do that for you. You can't save yourself from sin. Sin is eventually going to destroy you. And you need someone else to come in and save you from that sin. That is conflict. That is a severe problem that has to be fixed and redeemed. What I want you to see, my point in saying all of that, is that your life is a story. Your life is not just some, like, accident. You aren't just like a collection of atoms that is here for a reason. You are a story, and there is a storyteller who put you here. There is an author who put you here for a reason. And this story is not an accident. Okay? Your story has construction, characters, conflict, all the makings of a grand narrative. And there is someone driving this story forward. That's an important thing for you to realize as we talk about the rest of this week, is that you actually have a story written into your life. The second thing I want to talk about is this. Your story needs to be shared with others. There's a lady named Emily Esfahani Smith. She says this, When we want people to understand us, we share our story with them. When we want to know who another person is, we ask them to share their story. Okay, so when we want to know somebody, the best way to do it is to actually share stories back and forth. It's not like, a lot of us may think that getting to know someone is all about like asking questions like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? You like the beach or the mountains? Like, that's not really getting to know somebody, okay? Like, getting to know somebody is actually sharing your stories. I have a group of friends that very recently, uh, really within like the last six months or so, we get together fairly, we don't live in the same city, but we'll get together and we will meet and circle up. And the whole purpose of that is to share our stories with each other. And so basically what happens is one person will go, And they'll talk and they'll say like, hey, this is kind of what my childhood was like growing up. This is what my my home was like. These are the things that I love. These are the things that were hard for me. These are the things that I think kind of affected who I am today. These are the things that I struggle with today. These are the things that I love, things that I enjoy. We just share our stories with each other and it helps us know each other better. Now, your story was meant to be shared with others. Let me read to you from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. 
Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is basically saying this. Share your story with one another so that you may be healed. That's what he's saying. He's saying that this Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. You need other people in your life to come alongside you. You need to have people that you can share your story with. That's why the church is so important. Look, I'm just going to say this and be like super blunt. I know that sometimes we can in church we can be afraid to really tell people like do this, don't do that because we don't want it to sound legalistic. And so I'm 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 honoring that thought right there right there and saying I don't want you to take this as being legalistic like if you do this that God's going to love you more. But I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to go to church. You need church in your life. It might be the most important thing. I heard someone say one time, the most important thing for your spiritual development is being in Sunday morning worship week in and week out. It's not your personal devotion time. Yes, that is important, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But the most important thing for your own personal spiritual development is being in Sunday morning worship, day in and day out, week in and week out, hearing the preaching of God's Word. You know why? Because a lot of us think that God kind of works the same way that everything else in this world works, that you just need to do this one little thing, this one little tweak, and everything will be fixed. God works in a what is called a cumulative effect, where the little things add up over time. So going to church week in and week out, you may get like a month into that and be like, man, I've gone to church four straight weeks and I don't feel like I'm any different than I was beforehand. Or I don't feel like I've grown anymore. All right, have you ever sat and watched a tree grow? (laughs) It's not really something you see, but it's something you see the effects of over time. We grow the same way in Christ. We grow very slowly. And it is a cumulative effect And the water that feeds us and grows us is church. You need the church. You need people alongside you. That's why youth group, look, youth group is so important because youth group will bring you to places like this and help you see through these camps. Like a camp like this is like a shot in the arm, okay? Because you get to see like like a big intense uh, gospel and you get to see people around you who are worshiping and loving Jesus. These are the kind of things that can really spur you on and get you excited about the Lord. And that's why we do this, because that's so important. But you know what's even more important than this? It's just going to church. And that's what we say at RYM. We want to come alongside the church. We don't want to be anything different from the church. Because we care about the church, and we want you to care about the church. And you need people in your life to help you walk through faith. You need people that you can share your story with, and that you can listen to them share their story. That is infinitely more important than just about anything else in this world. To have people and friends in our lives that we can walk with. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. And number three, this is the last point. Your story should be shaped by God's story. 
When I was a kid, I used to ask this question a lot. I would say to anyone like Sunday school teachers or pastors, school teachers, how, how do you listen to God? Because I would hear people say this a lot. They would say, like if there was a problem in your life, they would just say, well, you just need to listen to God. Or, you know, you need to hear God's voice. Or they would say things like, I heard God tell me to do this, or God told me to do that. And I was so confused by that because I knew that there were stories in the Bible about God speaking to people with an audible voice. I'd never heard that voice, and I thought something was wrong with me. And I would ask people, like, how are you supposed to hear God? I've never heard him before. And I never got great answers on that. I would always, people would always say, like, well, you just, you kind of, you know, you just kind of feel it, and you just, you kind of have to get really quiet, okay? And, uh, and I, I just never really, that, none of that was helpful. And I finally got into high school, and someone finally explained to me something that was very simple that I never thought of before. Say, you want to know how to listen to God? Read your Bible. That's why it's called God's Word. It's like, oh, like, oh, that makes sense. Like, the Bible is God speaking to me. So how do we listen to God? We literally open up and read it. That's how God speaks to us. And I was like, man, that, that completely changed the way I read the Bible. And I moved forward from that. But even then, I didn't have the full picture. I'm not saying I have the full picture now, but I, I'm going to be kind of super vulnerable with you right now. I've never had a great uh, personal devotional life. I've never been very good at it. I've always struggled through reading my Bible. And it wasn't until like just several months ago that I kind of had something happen that really changed the way I see the Bible and has really shaped the way that I read it. And some of this is going to be super practical, and I think that's good because I want you to take some stuff away from this that you can actually do and use as you leave this place. But growing up, once I realized that the way we listen to God is we read our Bible— I thought, okay, that's it. I know what I'm doing. But I, I've recently realized that I had been listening to God. And by the way, when I say listening to God, I'm, I'm also mean reading your Bible, okay? So I had been listening to God or reading my Bible the same way that I would listen to a teacher in a classroom giving me instructions. Turn to this page, not that page. Uh, write down your homework assignments. Uh, this is due on this day. Like, tell me what to do. And I'll go do it, and then I'll come back to you when I need more instruction. I had been listening to God as if his whole purpose was just to tell me how to live life. And every time I went to the Bible, I would read it for that purpose. I would say, okay, God, I'm opening your word, and uh, I want you to tell me what I'm supposed to do so that I can go live life. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the Bible does not give us instruction. Don't go home and be like, just say the Bible doesn't teach us anything. All right, I'm not saying that. The Bible is absolutely for teaching and correcting and rebuking and disciplining and guiding us. All right, there is absolutely instruction in the Bible. There are absolutely lessons to be learned. That stuff is invaluable. But that is not the most important part of the Bible. And I've recently realized the most important part of the Bible is the fact that the Bible is a story from beginning to end. 
And there are lessons to be learned throughout that story. But you need to see the story that is taking place before you see anything else. And I would describe it to you this way. Remember how I said I had this group of friends that I've been recently meeting with and we would sit around and just tell each other our stories? All right, when this one person tells me his story, I'm not listening to it going, okay, what lessons can I learn from his story? Okay, maybe there are lessons I could gather from this person's story. But first and foremost, I'm listening to my friend tell me his story because I want to know him better. The goal is intimacy more than instruction. Intimacy first, then instruction. The reason we listen to each other's stories is because we want to know each other better. So why do you think God gave us his story? Because he wants us to know him better. And yes, there will be times when you read that story and you will see something that applies directly to your life. And that is a good thing. That is God telling you that. But there are going to be times when you read the Bible and you're going to be like, what? in the world does this have to do with anything in my life? For example, I was reading through the book of Judges several weeks ago, and I get to this story about this guy who's running away from an army. He runs into a tent, and there's this woman there, and he says, hey, I need you to hide me. And she says, sure, sure, you can hide. In fact, you can just lay down right here and go to sleep, and I'll keep you safe. And he goes, okay, fine, I'm tired. So he lays down and goes to sleep. While he's sleeping, she grabs a giant tent peg and nails it through his temple and kills him on the spot. Okay, I read that story, and I was like, and the application to my life is, I don't, I, even now, I cannot tell you how that story is supposed to apply to my life. I don't know, okay? And I don't really think I'm supposed to know. But you know what? You know what? That's part of God's story. And he told it to us for a reason. And what I want you to see is that that is part of a bigger story that's being told. It is part of a massive, long, epic story that's being told. And it's there for a reason. And the point of that story is so that I might know God better because it's part of this grand narrative. What I'm saying to you is this. The primary goal of reading your Bible is to know God better because this is God telling you his story. This is God becoming vulnerable with you in a sense. And letting you in and saying, I want you to know me. So I'm going to tell you my story from beginning to end. Because guess what? It's all about him. All of it is about Jesus. Every story of redemption in the Old Testament is pointing us to the Christ that is to come. And when he finally comes, we see him in the flesh. The word of God made flesh. It's all about him. God gave us his story so that we can know him better. And you need to be in that story every day, and you need to be shaped by it every day. And I'm going to close with this. This is the super practical part, okay? I told you earlier that I've always struggled with reading my Bible. I've never been very good at it. And I, and I realized something recently. I, I played sports growing up, and I was never a long-distance runner. I'm more of a sprinter, okay? The idea of long-distance for me is like running a mile. Okay, a mile is like way too long for me to run. The idea of running a marathon blows my mind. I cannot imagine anybody running 26.2 miles because one mile is more than enough for me. I'm more of a like, let's stand on the baseline of a basketball court, sprint to the other end, and then stop and put my knee, hands on my knees because I'm out of breath. Okay, that's how I run. I just go as fast as I can from the start and go till I can't go anymore and then I stop. And then I realize 
I had been reading the Bible the exact same way my whole life. I had been reading the Bible as if I were a sprinter. Here's what I mean by that. I would get really fired up and I would say, okay, you know what? I'm going to read 10 chapters a day every day for a year. And I'm going to be such a strong Christian at the end of this year. And so I would come out and I would do it. And I would start in Genesis. I'd read Genesis 1 through 10. And I'd be like, man, that was long. But you know what? It was good. And I'm feeling really good about myself. The next day I come out, I read Genesis 11 through 20. And I'm feeling great. A little tired. It's a lot of reading. But it's important. I know I'm supposed to do this. The next day I come out and I get to through five chapters. And I'm just like, this is taking a while, okay? And I'm starting to lose my attention. I got a lot of stuff to do today. You know what? I'm just going to stop right here. And God loves me no matter what. And he's not going to be disappointed in me, like, taking time off. In fact, I'll make up for it tomorrow. That's what I'll do. So the next day I come back in, I read 15 chapters to make up for it. You see these first four days, I'm just going and blowing. I'm going so hard. But by the end of that day, I'm exhausted. And I've almost got nothing left in me. So the next day I wake up and I think, you know what? I think it's good for me to take a day off because God cares about rest. Okay? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to take a day off and, uh, and I'll just pick back up the next day. And then the next day comes. And the next. And the next. And it's easier and easier to not read my Bible. And weeks go by. Sometimes months. And I feel guilty. And I feel shame. And I start the cycle all over again. I say, God, I'm so sorry. I haven't been in your work. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read 10 chapters a day. It's going to work this time. And I'll just repeat this cycle again. I'm sprinting as fast as I can. And then I stop because I'm absolutely worn out and out of breath. And then I just have to sit down and take a break until I feel guilty about not running, not reading my Bible. And then I'll get right back into it again. Again, I'm kind of being vulnerable with you. Here I am, this like... I'm on staff with RYM. I've been a youth pastor for a long time. This is the way most of my adult Bible reading has been for most of my life. I'm ashamed to say it. I've never been very good at reading the Bible. Until I finally realized that reading the Bible is like running a marathon. You have to pace yourself. It is good to pace yourself. It is okay to go slower. And so I, I did something. This is the super practical part. Here, here's how I began reading my Bible. I began reading one chapter a day. And that's it. And I would stop after that. And I, fa- I found a book of the Bible that I wanted to start in. So I picked, I picked Joshua. Uh, this was just several months ago, okay? And I, and I started in Joshua 1. And I read one chapter. And I closed my Bible and I prayed. And the next day I got up and I read Joshua 2. And I closed my Bible and I prayed. And I didn't feel guilty for not reading more. You know what? It probably would have been good for me to read more, spiritually speaking. But if I read one chapter a day every day for a month, how many chapters have I read? 30? 31 chapters? When's the last time you read 31 chapters of the Bible in one month? Don't answer out loud. Just think about it. Do you see how consistency and faithfulness in the little things can add up over time? And you know what? Please do not take this in any way as me boasting. I've already told you I've been terrible at reading the Bible most of my adult life. But for these past few months, since I've been reading one chapter a day, I haven't missed a day. It's the longest I think I've ever gone in my life of being consistently in the Word. Because I'm slowly learning how to pace myself. And it's okay for you to pace yourself. It's okay for you to just read one chapter a day and not feel guilty about it. 
Now, there's nothing magical about a chapter. It's not like a chapter a day keeps the devil away. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just saying that, like, this is a pretty good pace to set yourself at, to just read one chapter. And you know what else I've discovered? The more consistently and faithfully I've been in God's Word, the more hungry I've grown for it. I've actually had several days when I've read four, five, six, seven chapters in one day because I was caught up in the story. I didn't want to stop reading it. Now, I didn't make that the norm. The next day, maybe I just get back and just read one more chapter. But there will be days when you will begin to see this hunger grow in you for God's word, and you will want it more and more. You know where that starts? It doesn't start with sprinting. It starts with pacing yourself and reading little bits at a time every single day. Because here's what I'm saying. I think it's more important for you to read small amounts every day than to read big amounts every now and then. Because I think God cares about faithfulness in the little things. You want proof? Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Jesus himself says this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. God cares about faithfulness in the little things. So here's what I'm saying. You need to be shaped by God's story. You need to be shaped by his story every single day. And I want to encourage you to read your Bible. And I know this sounds like an infomercial like a motivational speech, but I'm just going to say it. Guys, you can do this. I know that reading your Bible is such a daunting thing, especially for you guys in middle school. I know that there are so many other things out there that are way more entertaining and way more fun that you could be spending your time with that would just like make you feel better in the moment. But I promise you, this story is the most important story in the world. It's the story that should be shaping your life. And you need to be reading it every single day promise you can do it, right? One chapter a day. Pace yourself. This is a marathon. This is something I want you to continue for the rest of your life. And that means you have to pace yourself. Be in God's word every day and you will slowly begin to love his story and love him more because of it. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. You gave, us, you gave us your word because you love us so much. We were made in your image and we were made to love stories. Would you help us to see that this Bible that you gave us is your story? And you are sharing it with us because you want us to know you. That's how good you are. That's how much you love us. And would you help us to see that there is nothing in the world more important than knowing you. And so we need to be shaped by your story. Would you give us grace and endurance to run the race and realize that this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So give us grace and endurance to be in your word every single day and to be faithful in the little things. And would you encourage every soul and spirit in this room to know that when they leave this place that the Bible is not this daunting, overwhelming thing. It is a beautiful story. And that we can find a book of the Bible and start in chapter 1 and continue reading that day in and day out and slowly begin to love you more. And that ultimately our Bible reading is not what impresses you or makes you love us. You have already shown your love for us and the blood you shed on the cross, and we have already been accepted into your family if we have put our trust in you.
reading our Bible is not a way to impress you. It is a way to know you better because you are the one who loves us beyond imagination. Would you help us to see all of that? In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.